0: Well, today we're concluding our series we've been calling Me, My Selfie, and I. And in this series, we've been talking about that one thing that keeps you from apologizing even when you know that you should apologize. It's that thing that keeps you from celebrating someone else's success. It's what keeps you from admitting fault or showing weakness. It's what causes you to feel good when other people fail. It's that thing that shuts us in and shuts God and others out. We've been talking about pride. And as we weren't learned last week, that if you have an issue of pride in your life, that God is opposing you. It's not that God just doesn't like it. God is is opposing you if you have an issue of pride in your life. But the opposite is true as well. That when you begin to lead with a spirit of humility, God's favor is on you. God's grace is on you. Because as the word says, that God opposes the proud but shows favor to the humble. And one of the ways that pride can disguise itself in our life is through insecurity. Because insecurity, it's, it's constantly about us. And a lot of that is rooted in what other people think about us. And so today, to wrap up this series, I want to talk about our longing for approval. And you need to know that this is coming from somebody who is an approval junkie, that these are learnings from an approval junkie. And and I just want you to know, I I really, really hope you like my talk today. I, I, I hope you agree with all that I say. I hope you don't think that it's too long or too boring, and, and I hope you'll like me even more after it's done. Okay, so four signs that you might be an approval junkie yourself. These come from Craig Groeschel. This is number one, is you worry way too much about what other people think. You post something on Facebook, and 20 seconds later, you're wondering, did somebody like it? Did somebody like my post? You put a tweet out there, and if three people retweet it, you feel like that's a success. You know, you, you're, I'm really good at taking a selfie. Some of you have not had somebody else take your picture for years, because you take a selfie of yourself every single day, and you put it out there. I had one person say, that, uh, that she says whenever she puts something out on Instagram, if she doesn't get immediate likes, she immediately takes it off because she just figures it was a bust. You know, I just need to get rid of it. So one sign that you might be an approval junkie is, is that you worry way too much about what other people think. Number two is that you're overly sensitive. And I get this. I get this because a hundred people can say that they like my message and one person can say something that's negative And I can obsess over that negative comment. Maybe you're like that too. John Acuff, who is an author and a speaker, he says there's an equation for this. And the equation goes like this. It's 1,000 compliments plus one criticism equal one criticism. It doesn't matter what all of those other people say and I can let one stupid criticism erase all the good that God has been pouring into my life that you may be overly sensitive. A third sign that you might be addicted to approval is you start to compromise your values that you start to live so much for the approval of others, that you start to change your behavior so that you can fit in, so that they will accept you. You had said that you wouldn't go too far with that guy. And so in your mind, there was a line that you've drawn, but as you begin to date him and spend more time with him, that line gets moved further and further away. And you begin to, to compromise your values more and more because you want that approval. Or maybe there's a bunch of guys who are telling crude jokes or making fun of, someone and instead of walking away or standing up for what it's right you say nothing because you want to be included that you start to compromise your values here's the last one is that you have a hard time saying no you have a hard time saying no here's a here's a, a friend of mine retweeted this right here he's retweeted this yes that's me trying to say no and that's some of you You try to say no by just saying yes. And you know how this works. Someone will ask you to do something or be somewhere or lead something. And you already feel overwhelmed. But you say, sure, I'd be happy to. And the whole time you're angry and you're resentful. But you can't say no because you're afraid that they might not like you or accept you anymore. So you just say yes. See, that is why it is so important for us to understand who we are in Christ. To know where your identity comes from. Because so many times we trade in approval for God because we are so obsessed with approval for man. Here's the deal. Being obsessed with what other people think about you is the quickest way to forget what God thinks about you. So if you have your Bibles, I want you to turn to Daniel chapter 6. We're looking at just three chapters in this series, chapter 4, 5, and 6. And we're focusing in on these three kings that Daniel served under and how their pride affected them and destroyed them. In 605 B.C., Nebuchadnezzar, he invaded Israel. As he invaded the Israelite people, he took the best and the brightest, and Daniel was one of them. He was probably a teenager at that time, 14, 15, 16, 17 years old, and he becomes this powerful advisor to the king. And he comes back, and and he's made into this Babylonian. And in chapter 6, Daniel is about 80 years old, and there's a new king by the name of Darius. And he is the third king that Daniel serves under. And what's interesting about King Darius is he is an administrative genius. That when he becomes king, he reorganizes the entire kingdom and he sets up 120, what they call satraps. This is, this is just governors. We would think of this as like a governor over different provinces of the country. And then there three administrators over those 120 governors and Daniel is one of them. We're going to start out in chapter six, beginning in verse one. It explains what I just explained to you. It says, It pleased Darius to appoint 120 satraps to rule throughout the kingdom. The, uh, with three administrators over them, one of them was Daniel. The satraps were more, were made accountable to them so that the king might not suffer loss. Now Daniel so distinguished himself among the administrators and the satraps by his exceptional qualities that the king planned to set him over the whole kingdom. I love what it says about him. That he so distinguished himself above everybody else. And I wonder what would begin to change if we so set ourselves above everybody else by the way that we served people, by the way that we did our job as if we were working for the Lord and not for men, that we begin to distinguish ourselves in that way. Well, King Darius is so impressed with Daniel that he gives him a promotion. That he had had these other two guys. He puts them above these other two guys. And they don't like this so much. And so they decide that they're going to take Daniel out. Because whenever God raises you up, you can expect for people to try to tear you down. Verse 4. At this, the administrators and the satraps tried to find grounds for charges against Daniel in his conduct of government affairs. But they were unable to do so. They could find no corruption in him because he was trustworthy and neither corrupt nor negligent. Finally, these men said, we will never find any basis for charges against this man, Daniel, unless it has something to do with the law of his God. So these guys come and they try to find whatever skeletons are in his closet. You know, what can we find that will will get him fired? There's no skeletons in his closet. And so the only thing that they can use to go after him is his faith in God. That this guy is so faithful to God that that's what they're going to use. Now, here's one of the problems with our American version of Christianity. We so often think that if I'm serving God, then I shouldn't face any opposition. Or, if I'm trying to do what God wants, then I shouldn't go through hard times. And that's not reality, and that's not even biblical. You don't find that in the stories of the Bible. You find the exact opposite of that in the Bible. That whenever you are moving the kingdom of God forward, you can expect resistance from the prince of darkness. That if you're going to take a stand for God, then you are going to face opposition Verse 6 says, these, so these administrators and satraps went as a group to the king and said, may King Darius live forever. There is something about flattery that all of us love. We all love flattery because it speaks into our pride. Now, I don't know what they said to him. I don't know if they went to the king and says, man, it looks like you have been working out lately. You know, you must have lost some weight. Are those new sandals you're wearing? But whatever it is, they begin to use this flattery on him. Look what Solomon writes in Proverbs 29. He says, those who flatter their neighbors are spreading nets for their feet. See, they will eventually pull that net and will have you trapped because flattery just speaks to our own pride. Verse 7, the royal administrators, prefects, satraps, advisors, and governors have all agreed that the king should issue an edict and enforce the decree that anyone who prays to any god or human being during the next 30 days except for you, your majesty, shall be thrown into the lion's den. You can have the best intentions. But when you begin to make decisions based on getting the approval of others, it is not going to turn out well. Even though King Darius is a good king, that when you allowed your pride to make decisions, when you allow your need for approval to take over, you will go down a road that you never intended. You can have the best intentions. You can be living the best life. But when you allow the need for approval from somebody else to take over, it is going to lead you down a road that does not have a good ending. Well, the king likes all that he's hearing. He's like, well, that sounds like a great idea. That anybody who prays to anybody else but me over the next 30 days, they'll be thrown into the lion's den. And he puts it in writing, which means it's binding. It cannot change. Well, this creates a problem for Daniel. Daniel. Because he had no idea if God was going to rescue him. So he had three options. Option number one is to stop praying. It's like, God, we just need to take a month off from praying because I'm no good to you if I'm dead. So let's just take a month off from praying and everything will be fine. Or option number two, to be honest with you, this is probably the one that I would have chosen. Option number two is just to fake it. You know, I just won't close my eyes. You know, I'll just pray silently, nobody will know. That I'm praying right now. You know, nobody's going to know. We'll just fake it. Or number three, to keep on praying and to, to publicly risk death. Verse 10, it says, Now when Daniel learned that the decree had been published, he went home to his upstairs room where the window was open towards Jerusalem. Three times a day he got down on his knees and he prayed, giving thanks to his God just as he had done before. This is just what he's always done. This is just the pattern of his life. Daniel didn't announce his prayers, hashtag I'm so spiritual. He didn't have to feel like everybody had to know. This is just what he had always done because it's who he is, because he was only after the approval of God. So much of Daniel's life was based on predecisions. That Daniel pre-decided not to defile himself against the food in Daniel chapter 1. And here, Daniel predecided that he was going to pray no matter the consequences. If you haven't predecided your plan for spiritual growth, then you're probably not going to grow. You're probably not going to do it. If you've not pre-decided what your standards are, how you're going to serve God, and what the lines are for you, then you're probably not going to do it. Well, these other guys are trying to to take Daniel out. They see that he's praying again, and they come to the king, and they go, you remember this law that you signed? I mean, you you signed it with your own hand. You, You remember this? Well, we caught Daniel praying to his God again. And the king tries to get out of it, but because it was binding, he could not get out of it. Verse 16. says, so the king gave the order, and they brought Daniel and threw him into the lion's den. The king said to Daniel, may your God, whom you serve continually, rescue you. Well, this absolutely ripped the king's heart out. But because he was so concerned with approval from others, this is what ended up happening. Well, that night the king could not eat, he could not sleep. It says he didn't bring in any entertainment, so they cut off the Netflix for the night and he was just in there. He was up all night long worried. Verse 19, at the first light of dawn, the king got up and hurried to the lion's den. When he came near the den, he called to Daniel in an anguished voice, Daniel, servant of the living God, has your God whom you serve continually been able to rescue you God. See, Daniel had one focus and it was pleasing God, not pleasing people. And what an incredible epitaph that he trusted in his God. Because Daniel didn't know how the story was going to end when he was in the middle of the story. God didn't say to Daniel, Daniel, let me tell you how it's all going to go down. Here's what's going to happen. You're going to get thrown into the lion's den, but they're not going to bother you at all. And when you get out of the lion's den, you're going to be famous. You're going to write a book of the Bible that has your name on it. And people are going to name their kids after you. It's all going to work out. None of that happened. He doesn't know how it's going to end when he's in the middle of the story. He just does what he's always done. He trusted God. You have no idea what hangs in the balance of your decisions. You have no idea. Because my guess is you probably find yourself in a certain place that you don't want to be. You don't know how the story is going to end. And you're at this crossroads of going, am I going to be faithful to God even though I don't know how this story is going to end? Or am I going to take the easy way out? You have no idea what hangs in the balance of your decision to trust God. It just merely says that he trusted in his God. He trusted in his God. Verse 24. It says, At the king's command, the men who had falsely accused Daniel were brought in and thrown into the lion's den, along with their wives and children. And before they reached the floor of the den, the lions overpowered them and crushed all their bones. Verse 28. So Daniel prospered during the reign of Darius and in the reign of Cyrus the Persian. I love the simplicity of that last word. So Daniel prospered. I did a little bit of research that Daniel was taken in 605 B.C. It's when he started on the job. And this happened in 538 B.C. This is 67 years. That Daniel's now in his 80s when he's thrown into the lion's den. He's in his 80s. And he spent his entire life just faithfully serving God in the middle of a place that he never wanted to be. He was ripped out of his own country as a teenager and he was put in this pagan culture of Babylon. He was somewhere he didn't want to be, but he just trusted God. And God prospered him. See, I'll bet you find yourself in a place in life that maybe you never wanted to be in. Maybe you're in a city you never wanted to be in, or you're someplace that you never wanted to be. But see, Daniel, he was just faithful where God had placed him in that moment, and God blessed every step of the way. So how do we overcome this disease to please? How do we begin to root this disease to please out of our own life so we can begin to follow the path that God has for us? Here's the simple idea from today. It's to live from the approval of God Instead of for the approval of others. To live from the approval of God. That you are already approved by God. You live from the approval of God. Than to spend your whole life living for the approval of others. And there's a big difference. There's a big difference because this comes from the inside out. This is an inside kind of life when you let God begin to do a work in you. See, here's what's interesting about King Darius is the first two kings that we looked at in the first two weeks were full of pride and God took them down. He humbled them. But that's not the case with Darius. Darius is this good king who allows his his desire from approval from people to take him down a path that he did not want to go. See, living for the approval of people can be so subtle and the truth is there is a little Lady Gaga in all of us. That we all live for the applause, applause, applause. If you don't know who Lady Gaga is, you're lucky. <laughs> There's all of us who live with the applause of people. It starts when we were kids. It starts when you're a kid and you say over and over, Daddy, watch this. Mommy, mommy, watch this. Watch this. Watch this. Because you're looking for approval. And then as you get older, it's a coach or a teacher or a set of friends or it's a boy or it's a girl. And then as adults, it's it's a different audience. Maybe it's your boss or maybe someone you work with. For some of you, you live for the applause of your kids, your children. We all live for the applause of somebody because it is this appetite, and like all appetites, if you feed it, it grows. The more friends and fans and followers you have, the more friends and fans and followers you want. In Galatians chapter 1, here's what the Apostle Paul writes. He says, am I now trying to win the approval of human beings or of God? Or am I trying to please people? If I were still trying to please people, I would not be a servant of Christ. I love this. Paul says, if my whole life is about pleasing people, then I'm not going to be serving Christ. And sometimes we get so focused on trying to please people, we miss what God has for us and the road that God wants to send us on. Daniel lived from the approval of God. His worth wasn't based on what they thought of him, what people thought of him. It was based on what God said about him. See, we get so caught up in what other people think, especially the critics in our life and the haters in our life. So how do you live From the approval of God. How do you live from the approval of God? I think it's knowing who you are in Christ. That you are approved by the one who matters most. Let me tell you what God says about you. 1 John chapter 3. It says, see what great love the Father has lavished on us. That we should be called children of God. And look at this. And that is what you are. That you are a child of God. Ephesians 1.7, in him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins in accordance with the riches of God's grace. Romans 8.1, therefore there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. When you are in Christ Jesus, there is no condemnation for your life. Romans 8.37, no, in all things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us, that you are more than a conqueror. Ephesians 2.10, for we are God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. This word handiwork, it's actually the Greek word poema. It's where we get our word poem, that you are God's poem. God has been writing the poem of your life from before you were even born. That God had planned it before you were even born. God had prepared in advance for you to be this incredible poem. Matthew 5.14, Jesus says, You are the light of the world. You are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Colossians 2.10 So you also are complete through your union with Christ, who is the head over every ruler and authority. Romans 8.11 The spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you. Don't miss this. The Spirit who rose Jesus from the grave, who rose Jesus from the dead is now in you. It's the Holy Spirit. It's in you if you're a follower of Christ. Romans 8 17. Now if we are children, then we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Jesus, that you've been written into the will. You've been given all the inheritance. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. We are therefore Christ ambassadors. Look at this. As though God were making his appeal Through us. That's who you are. That's who you are. It doesn't matter what other people think of me. It matters what God says about me. It doesn't matter what anybody thinks about you. It's what God says about you. You live from his approval. You begin to to live your life from what God has already said. That you are his child. That Christ is in you. And one of the ways that we do this is we finally begin to receive and accept the love and forgiveness of Jesus. That he died for you. And for some of you, it is your pride that has kept you from becoming a follower of Jesus. It's the approval of others. Well, what would they think of me if I begin to do this? We live just from the approval of God. That we have everything that we need in our life. And so I just want to close in praying. And I want to just ask you just to bow your heads. And if you feel comfortable, just to put your palms up. Just as this act of surrender before God. And if you're ready to make a decision to follow Jesus, I want you just to pray this. To say, God, today, I'm receiving Jesus as my Lord and my Savior. I'm asking you to forgive me of my sins. God, we come to you humbly. God, we come to you with our palms outstretched, just saying we are humbling ourselves before you. God, we want more of you in our life and less of us. God, we want to learn what it means to live from your approval and not the approval of others. So, God, we want to lay our pride down at Jesus' feet. God, we know that there are some who are making decisions for Jesus right now. That he is the one that we want to follow. So God, we submit to you. We surrender our whole life and put it in your hands. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.